Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Friday, December 4, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me and Boy, oh boy, do we have a treat scheduled for Saturday on CBS, America's Most Watched Network. It's a network of stars. And on Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, CBS is going to be the place to watch number one Gonzaga versus number two Baylor inside Banker's Life Fieldhouse downtown Indianapolis. Mark Few Zags remain undefeated thanks to Wednesday's impressive win over number 11 West Virginia. Scott Drew's Bears remain undefeated thanks to Wednesday's impressive win over number five Illinois. So Norlander, before we look ahead to Gonzaga Baylor, uh, let's look back to Wednesday. Which team impressed you more in its most recent game, number one Gonzaga or number two Baylor? Hmm. That really is a tough one. Because I, didn't mean to, I, didn't mean, I didn't mean to stump you in the no, first minute. Listen, it's early on a Friday. That's a tough one. I didn't see that one. I got it, man. I didn't see that one coming. I think it was Baylor. Now, Gonzaga, like West Virginia, I guess, had the best defensive performance against Gonzaga in this young season, and Gonzaga still scored 87, and Joel Iai was the leading scorer, you know, and he's very, very good as well. I mean, Timmy, Suggs, and Kispert all getting plenty of love, and rightfully so, and any one of those dudes can be an All-American, and yet Ayayi led the team in scoring. Um, so, I mean, that's just going to probably be the story against Gonzaga this year. Like, you could put up an amazing defensive effort, and then you're going to look up, and they're going to have put up, you know, 84 points and beat you by eight. <laughs> Baylor up against Illinois. The way that it was able just to kind of turn off Illinois' water there with about eight minutes to go, pull away... You know, Adam Flagler's emergence as another really good option, uh, redshirt sophomore out of Presbyterian. You add him on top of Macy Teague, Davion Mitchell, Jared Butler, and, you know, Baylor is just, you know, this is wonderful. This is this is a wonderful um, matchup that we are being gifted with here on Saturday. I, but, you know, to look back instead of forward real quick, I would say that Baylor on the whole ever so slightly impressed me more um, cause Illinois, I thought played a relatively decent game. And like, I thought it, you know, that's a, that's a big time game for that program in the, you know, in the top five, this is, it should be its best season in 15, 16 years. And Baylor at one point last season, won 23 straight. I thought Illinois played well and did well for itself all told, cause it wasn't expected to win the game and a lot of good optimism there, but for Baylor to do what it did and how it did it, especially if you watched how that game changed from about 13 minutes to nine minutes to six minutes to go. Uh, it kind of hit another gear where you saw, okay, they're, they're legit. And then real quick on Gonzaga, what happened? Um, I, I, I assume what we're going to see Jalen Suggs play most of this game on Saturday. There was, uh, I actually did not see this in real. I was putting my boys down. So I did not see Suggs's injury in real time. I probably got to, the, I turned, uh, turned the game back on 
Got back downstairs after putting my boys down probably about 15 minutes after the Suggs injury. And so, um, like, I think I turned it on, and like two minutes later, he was hopping around in the tunnel. So from my perspective, I thought he just had tweaked an ankle and then come to find out that on college basketball Twitter for a good, like, 10 minutes, everyone was... He, he died. Yeah, like, he it died. was... Everyone was really like, holy crap, Jalen Suggs probably just pulled his Achilles and he's done for the season. And... Uh, and so it was just, from my perspective, it was, I, I didn't live that. Uh, so he got back, he convinced Mark Few to get back in the game, and he actually let him, and he seemed to be good. So that's that's the good news there, is that hopefully and ideally sucks. It was just an ankle tweak, and he's going to be good to go, and he might be a little tight down there, but should be able to play in this big matchup Saturday. If you'd have been watching it live, you'd have thought he was dead for sure. It was over with. Like, Jalen Suggs was done. Basketball career over. That's what. That's the way it looked from you – know, I mean, he was down for a while, and then they had to take him to the back. And, and then, of course, on Twitter, it's like, oh, that, that's it. Uh, you know, they, they, Gonzaga just lost its five-star freshman, and now the Zags will be lucky to play in the NIT. I mean, it was, it was wild to watch. And then, of course – what a luxury. They just bring Andrew Nimhard off the bench, and he's terrific. Like, we've reached a point with Gonzaga where you lose your five-star freshman future lottery pick point guard, and that's not ideal, but at least you got this guy that started 60 games at Florida that can come in and handle things for a little while. So um, they're, they're loaded, and the way that game unfolded on Wednesday night uh, was a reminder of that. They trailed by five points of the half. They – Shot 25% from three in the game, lost Jalen Suggs for a while, and still beat West Virginia by five. That, that's how good they are. And I, I, I went and looked this up last night because we've talked about this before. I remember when Philip Petrushev, who was going to be a preseason first-team All-American, according to anybody with a brain, because he was going to be the leading returning scorer on the preseason number one. That almost automatically is going to make you a preseason All-American, first team. So he announces, or it gets announced, that he is foregoing his eligibility and he's going to play overseas and he's done with college basketball. And at that point, I mean, like when the team you've got number one in the preseason loses its best player, somewhat surprisingly, you're probably going to put somebody else at number one. And I remember talking to people around the Gonzaga program then, and they were like, we'll be, we'll be fine. And I know it's only three games, but Philip Petrushev averaged 17.5 points, 7.9 rebounds, shot 56.2% from the field last season, which was good enough to make him a preseason first-team All-American coming into this season had he decided to continue his college basketball career. His replacement, Drew Timmy. Averaging 23 points, 6.3 rebounds, and shooting 60.4% from the field. It's only three games, sure, but keep in mind, most of Petrusha's games were against WCC competition. <laughs> the, the Gonzaga's two of the first three games are against Kansas and West Virginia. By the way, the Big 12 preseason poll mm. is one Baylor, two Kansas, three West Virginia. Gonzaga, in what will be the first 12 11, 12 days of the season, we'll have a chance to knock off the number one, number two, and number three teams in the Big 12, according to the preseason Big 12 uh, poll. So they're, they're awesome, and I can't wait for Saturday. Uh, with Baylor, everybody understands Baylor is great defensively. They got Mark Vidal. They, 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 you know, as you said, they, they turned the water off on Illinois. They also scored 51 second-half points on Illinois. Uh, shot 45.5% from the field, 38.9% from three. And 
you, 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 do, do you really, you probably do because this is what you do for a living. Their offensive efficiency rating is higher than their defensive efficiency rating right now. They're number two in offensive efficiency, yes. number eight in defensive efficiency. So elite at both, which means on Saturday, we get the two best offenses in college basketball going up against each other. It's on CBS. It's America's most watched network. Yeah, and it's at uh, 1 Eastern. I, I'm thinking that uh, if Gonzaga wins this game, it's going to have the best, you know, run of dominance over elite Big 12 teams in a short period of time since Syracuse, like, beat four Big 12 teams in the 2003 tournament uh, to win the national championship there. Uh, this this would put uh, Gonzaga in, you know, an early pole position for number one overall seed. we got plenty of time to go. I know, I understand that. But if Gonzaga were to win this game... It, you know, its resume just is going to be four games in. Just there's not there's not a close second at that point. Uh, if ba- if Baylor can win it, then yeah, it's going to have two wins over top five teams, and that's going to be that's going to be huge there. Um, can we go with a couple trivia times right now? You don't have a trivia time already on this Friday morning. Oh, I got I got it's early and I and I am ready. Um, because I got a I got a little one versus two history lesson story that uh, we'll be posting later on this morning at cbssports.com. How many wins all time do you think Gonzaga has versus number one or number two ranked teams? And I say number one or number two, this is actually a number one versus number one game. Baylor is number one in the coaches poll. Gonzaga is number one in the AP poll. So what, how many wins do you think Gonzaga as a program has all time against top two teams? Five. Two. Now, trivia time. What about Baylor? What do you think Baylor's record is all time versus number one and number two teams? I got to guess a record? Yeah, just guess a record. I mean, how many like how many times do you think Baylor in the Big 12, Big 8, et cetera, et cetera? How about this? Are we Scott, counting the Bill Henderson years? We're, yes count, no? we're counting. Was Bill Henderson around? The AP poll has been around since the 48-49 season. Um I'm not up to snuff on uh, on all my Bill Henderson knowledge, so I don't know if he had left for good by the time the first AP poll came into existence. By the way, I've had multiple listeners reach out to tell me that they've researched why Bill Henderson stepped away from Baylor's basketball program for a while. He had to serve. He had to serve our country. Well, then that then Scott Drew's currently in a John Wooden situation with Mick Cronin, if that's the case. He's going to have to beat Gonzaga to usurp Bill Henderson. I'm saying that right now. I'm going to say Baylor's record against number one or number two teams all time is uh, two and 11. You, so you're actually, that's Gonzaga's two and nine all time. <laughs> Baylor, 0 and 18 all time. Okay. Never beaten a number one or number two ranked team ever have Not these even Bears. Bill Henderson? Not even Bill Henderson? Nope. And nine of those losses have come with Scott Drew on the sideline there. So a, a lot of, uh, a lot of, you know, potential. Narrative driving results can come from this. I, I do think Gonzaga is going to win. I expect a great game. I tweeted this out. We talked about it previously in the offseason. This game is only even happening because the Pac-12s, what do we call them again? CEOs? Is that what it was? <laughs> I can't remember. Anyway, these these presidents and chancellors at Pac-12 schools, when they decided what wound up being temporarily to not play football or any fall sports, and the same went for winter until 2021, that meant that Baylor and Gonzaga both lost Pac-12 opponents on their schedule. And then Mark Few and Scott Drew got on the horn, and they were like, we're going to make this happen. And so here we get it. We get a number one versus number two. Uh, this is the 43rd 
all-time meeting between number one and number two ranked teams. It's the 25th of those 43 have actually happened in the regular season. We've been fortunate in that we've we've had more as of late. The most recent one would have been Michigan State versus Kentucky at, to start the 2019-20 season at the Champions Classic. Uh, the number one ranked team is 22-20 and 20 in this game, so it's actually pretty close. And then Jeff Borzello, our buddy from ESPN, he cited ESPN's uh, stats and research crew that says, apparently, and I did not fact just check this, but I'm going to take their word for it, in the previous 42 meetings, the entire point total Number two has one more point total than the number one team. The average score in the past 42 meetings is 75 to 75. So this is pretty great. We've had uh, 40% of the time the game ends within a five-point margin, and there have been five times where it's actually needed overtime, three more times where it was only a one-point margin. So as of late, it's been a pretty close matchup overall, uh, only decided by 4.3 points the last six times we've had number one versus number two. And then I threw this nugget out on Twitter on Thursday. This is the first time since GP was in the building in 2008 that was Tennessee-Memphis. This is the first time since the Tennessee-Memphis game that a one versus two matchup in college basketball has not had one of Duke, Kentucky, or Kansas involved. Let me ask you this. From a historical perspective, since you know so much about one versus two matchups, from a historical perspective, is this the most unlikely one versus two matchup in college basketball history. I think it. I yes, I think that's the case because if you if you go back and look at the previous matchups, dominated obviously by blue bloods, you occasionally have a Memphis versus Tennessee game where it's it's two of those kind of deals. And I, I remember when that game happened in '08. Uh, I was running College Hoops Journal back then, and I remember espn basically building its its programming to a large extent because it was in february uh and that was a non-conference yeah Fe- i think february late january and that was a non-conference game the kind of frankly the kind of non-conference matchup that we almost never ever get anymore in college basketball past like january 15 with the exception of the sec big 12 challenge um it was a big deal because of where uh cal obviously had memphis rolling and and then bruce pearl getting tennessee to that kind of level you know top two team in the country but otherwise yes i mean gonzaga and baylor both have never been involved in a number one versus number two game so this is the first time for them and then usually it's either one of the blue bloods we know obviously ucla was uh ucla and kentucky have been in more one versus two games than any other programs ever uh both have been in nine of these before and this is the first time for gonzaga and baylor so it is among the more unexpected but since they were both really really good last year like it's not a total shock it's not like you know we're 11 games into the season these have been two two teams that were outside the top 10 of the preseason and look what they've done no they were expected to be really really good and we get the benefit of getting this game in early december and it's it's obviously the highlight of the weekend in college sports in that 2008 game memphis was 26 and 0 the game was played on february 23rd 2008 it was a non-league game obviously and when john calipari was the coach at memphis he used to try to schedule at least one of these because they were just rolling through conference usa and he wanted to test his team uh, you know uh, deeper into the calendar in advance of the ncaa tournament so this was that game and you're right i was in the building number 2 tennessee upsets number 1 memphis and then I guess it was three nights later, I was in the building in Nashville when number one Tennessee, because Tennessee moves to number one after beating Memphis, immediately has to play Vanderbilt and loses that game 72-69. So I saw the number one team in the AP poll lose twice in a 
three-day span in the state of Tennessee, which is something that might never happen again. You're exactly right that there's nothing surprising about number one, Gonzaga versus number two, Baylor, based on what we thought these teams were going to be heading into the the season. Uh, Gonzaga was preseason number one and Baylor was preseason number two, and they're both undefeated. So here we are. But from a historical perspective, I really do think it's got to be the most unlikely one versus two matchup we've ever had. And probably not even close because Gonzaga I don't even know how to technically describe, uh, uh, define what a quote blue blood is, but but at this point, Gonzaga is a blue blood program at least in in modern times. I mean, they they haven't missed the NCAA tournament since 1998. They've been one seeds. They've been to a Final Four. They played for a title. They're awesome consistently. Not just a great uh, uh, program from outside of the power conference structure, not just a great West Coast program. They are one of the best programs in America, period. You don't need to qualify it anymore. But they never made an NCAA tournament until 1995. That was the first NCAA tournament appearance for Gonzaga, 1995. In the 1998-99 season, I was also in the building. It was called the Pyramid. It's now a Bass Pro Shop, but at the time it was a pyramid that they played basketball in. And Gonzaga came in to play Memphis. I was a senior in college, and Gonzaga beat them 88-73. I don't think I'd ever heard of Gonzaga, all right? I was a college basketball fan. had no idea what was happening. They blow Memphis's doors off. They end up going to the NCAA tournament that season. They get their first NCAA tournament win in that 1999 NCAA tournament, and they literally have not missed the NCAA tournament since just awesome stuff, but still like it's all happened in my adult life. Meantime, there's Baylor. People understand that story at this point. Scott Drew took over the program in 2003, that program crippled by scandal because one player literally murdered another player, which led to Dave Bliss being fired. And then Scott Drew takes it over. And in the first four years, he finishes next to last, 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 and next to last in the big 12. That's how that thing, that's where that was, again, in 2003. Um, and, I mean, you just mentioned the 2003 NCAA tournament, Syracuse running through the Big 12. Well, uh, part of the Big 12 was like recovering from a murder scandal. Uh, that's Baylor. Scott Drew takes over, and now he has built that into, you know, one of the most reliably um, successful programs in the sport. They were going to be a one seed in the tournament last season. Uh, now they're ranked number two in the country, and I, I can't wait for Saturday. It, it should be terrific. This, Yeah, this is this is great stuff. College basketball has actually been uh, gifted with a number of matchups between top five teams, like we had with Baylor, Illinois, top ten teams. You know, Gonzaga, West Virginia would qualify there, and that's still going to be the case. Even like top 20 matchups, we've, we've had a lot considering how many games have needed to be postponed or canceled to this point in the season, which wasn't expected outcome. We're hitting at about a, an 80% rate of, of games getting played, which is close to what college football has. Um, but... The fact that we've had a lot of interesting matchups, I think, has been very, very good for the sport. And then, yes, it comes it comes to the main stage in a huge way with Gonzaga versus Baylor at 1 o'clock Eastern on Saturday on CBS out of Indianapolis there. So that's that's a huge matchup and, and a wonderful deal. I mean, it, it's it's almost, an, aside from the actual loss that one of the teams will take, it's, it's really a no 
lose situation in terms of Baylor's going to like there's the, the reputation barring Gonzaga winning this game 86 to 64 and like just totally demolish and if that happens then we're really going to have to have a discussion about uh who can possibly you know beat this team because they already look I mean I already had people giving me flack for when I said it's inarguable that Gonzaga has the most talent and is the best team on offense in college basketball. That's irrefutable. It doesn't mean they can't lose. Baylor can win against Gonzaga Saturday. But Andrew Nembhard starts at point guard for every team in the country except the one that he's on. I don't think it's arguable, period. And I've heard this, by the way, this is this is something that when I was in Bubbleville and even last night got a couple of texts from coaches, it is, it is a quickly forming consensus that on offense, Gonzaga just straight up has more weapons than anyone in America. There's just not another team that has the amount of dudes that they have, and Nembard put it, puts it over the top. So if they are if they are able to to win and win big against Baylor, then I'm normally not one for this, and they still got to play like Iowa and all that stuff. But like if, they, if this isn't close, then we are going to already have to entertain the, the conversation given the league that they play in um, if they're going to be able to run the table and, and go undefeated. So that's the big one on uh, – on Saturday, um, you want to just make our. You want to make. A, go ahead. I was gonna say you want to. I'm make always picks. ready to talk about whether somebody can go on. You actually are. I think I have. I think you know what though. I think I have actually banned this on the podcast until January. I might have to walk that back. They got to. They got to beat Baylor by at least twenty though, because I think we went through this ex- literally this very thing a year ago or two years ago. Because I just feel like it's. I don't know. Because it, it, it never happens. It almost never happens. And so I feel like we're always a bit uh, a bit too eager. I will pick the game here. I'm gonna say. I will say Gonzaga wins. Um, I think Baylor's going to do a good job defensively, and so by that I mean Baylor's going to hold them to like 82 points. So I'll say Gonzaga 82, Baylor 77. And it's 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 within reach for Baylor even into the final two minutes. I will say Gonzaga 81, Baylor 78. Okay, so and there is, there's an early number I saw that was Gonzaga minus four. So I would take I would take the points, I guess, because I could easily. I mean, I don't think it's crazy to think Baylor could win the game, and I could certainly see it. You know, Gonzaga winning by two or three or whatever. I, I think I just said Gonzaga wins by three, so I would take the points. But I do think Gonzaga wins, and they will then be four zero, assuming they win four zero against four power conference schools, including the three that were projected to finish first, second, and third in the Big 12. So, like, if you're one of those people who ever tweeted me and said, well, what would Gonzaga do if they were in a real conference? They would win, they would win it. That's what they would do. They would, win, they would win it and probably win it easily. That's how good they are. Um, and I, we're joking, but if they get past Baylor, especially if they get past Baylor in impressive fashion, it's, it, it's not crazy to start talking about can they go undefeated. The, the, the only – game they would have remaining against a ranked opponent would be a December 19th game against Iowa and St. Mary's looks down. BYU looks down. Uh, honestly, who who in the WCC do you think can play with them? You're just going to dismiss the Dons like that? The Dons like to, the Dons like to compete, my friend. I know what the Dons did. <laughs> like, I'm I'm I'm, well, I'm the, the Dons what, uh, the Dons also lost to Rhode Island. Well, to, to UMass Lowell. And a UMass Lowell player threw up on an NC State player, by the way. Did you see that? Yeah. It What's made going Elvis, on? Elvis sick to his stomach. <laughs> the, Tyler Cox 
At Bleed KY Blue said, a UMass player threw up on an NC State player tonight. All kinds of disgusting. It is. By the way, my two-year-old completely vomited all over me two days ago. Just like... Oh, no. Oh, just... I mean, GP. Like, terrible. I we I think he actually got into uh, into the hand soap because he was, he was like, he was partying after that. He's like, oh, I'm good to go. I'm, 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 I'm booting rally. Let's do this thing. Just all over me. Like, all bad. Have you reached the point at your house where the kids just pull out all the toys and they don't really play? They just there's constantly toys on your floor all the time. When we started recording this podcast, you it didn't pick up on the mic, thankfully, but uh, I could hear my wife saying these toys need to be picked up now in that in that stern mom voice. Oh yeah, they're just out all the time. Yeah, yeah, I, do, yeah. You, will your boys actually pick up your toy their toys? Yes, but I need to get involved with it and make it fun for it to happen. Or I need to, I need to really lay down the law and, like, with my five-year-old, I gotta, I gotta basically say, you're not getting this unless you start picking up your toys. So the two-year-old, the two-year-old is still, he doesn't care. He doesn't. Care. I am so frustrated with my house. Like I, 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 like I work hard. I, I, I should, have, I should be able to walk in every day after radio and have a into a nice home that's that's perfect. That's not gonna happen. And every day I walk in and there's just chaos everywhere. It's just stuff everywhere. My little guy, Lou, I walk in the other day and I actually will try to take some time in the middle. Like if there's a radio interview I want to listen to or something I want to listen to, I'll turn it on and I won't just sit there and listen. I'll, I'll say, okay, this is a time where I can pick up toys. And so I'll go downstairs Keep in mind, my boys got an entire toy room upstairs. They have their bedroom downstairs, a toy room upstairs, and somehow our den still ends up covered in toys. So I'll pick up, you know, and I had everything picked up a couple days ago. I come home three hours later, and there are 2,000 Legos oh, yeah. in a rug. Like, if, a it's on the hard, if it's on the hardwood floor, you can sweep them up. They're on a rug. You actually have to pick them up with your hands. And I was like, I was talking to my wife. I said, Kelly, what happened? How, how did this happen? And she said, Louie, just dumped them out. Just dumped them out. And I had to look at him. And I said, why, why would you do that? And he says, because I wanted to. And what are you supposed to do? Nothing how do you, you can do with that. That's his, that's his right. That's his right. So frustrating. Oh, it's bad. Tw- it's bad. Like, yeah. I'm, I, I, am, I came real close to throwing everything away. And just making this a toy-free house. We have no toys anymore. Play on your stupid iPad. My wife has made that threat, by the way, multiple times. <laughs> just get hypnotized by your iPads. I don't even care about the long-term damage it does at this point. I just don't want to look at toys all over the floor. I'm fine with having my, my children suffer long-term because they were hypnotized by an iPad if it means I don't have to step on a Lego ever again. Let's, let's, uh, let's reverse engineer this. All right, so how's Gonzaga going to lose? We, the Dons. The Dons lost to Rhode Island. They lost to UMass Lowell. A UMass Lowell player vomited on an NC State. I don't even want the details of that. I'm just, this is apparently a fact. UMass Lowell had a dude vomit on an NC State player. Not an ideal situation, period. Definitely not an ideal situation in the middle of a pandemic. I hope the UMass Lowell player just had a little food poisoning or some weird bug and all are well. And from that, we got to, uh, we got to Legos. Yeah, good times. Uh, so what are we talking about? Well, there's another, we talked about Gonzaga and Baylor and how good they've been. Yeah. There was another, there was another big win on Wednesday night and at kind of an arrival, another team that's going to have a huge game this weekend. 
We're going to get into that next. But first, look at you. Check this out. Ooh. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, Parrish. Mm. So, Wednesday night, practically Wednesday afternoon, again, just complete disgust with the Maui tournament happening in the afternoon, but that's, I'll get over it eventually. But, dude, it, ha- it happened in North Carolina. You're going to have to get over the time of the championship game. It's not even <laughs> happening on an island anymore. I know. It's, 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 I got issues. Um, but Texas, Matt Coleman, 0.1 seconds to go. Texas beats Carolina. They, they get the win. They win the championship there. Texas has a big game this weekend against Villanova, which we can get to in a minute there. But for the Longhorns, I mean, this might this was the kind of turn of events, if you will, for Texas that their fans have been waiting for since Shaka Smart got there. He got there in 2015. We're on the doorstep of 2021, and... The Longhorns are 4-0. They are a good 4-0. They started 4-0 a season ago, but they only had one real notable win, and that was against Purdue. Um, they beat Indiana handily, who went 2-1 down there in Asheville, uh, the only loss coming to Texas. And then they beat uh, a quality Carolina team with Leaky Black. Since we occasionally talk camel fighting on Leaky Black, I feel like we really need to... You're setting a precedent at the start of these podcasts. Like, Let's actually meet this challenge here. Leaky Black had eight points. Uh, was two of three from the foul line, 10 boards, couple of assists. It wasn't enough in 34 minutes of play. Texas wins 69-67 to get to, to 4-0, and Matt Coleman was outstanding in that game. Uh, they had a, a, a nice all-around team effort, but Coleman, as Shaka told me in the offseason, he's going to be their best player, and that certainly is the case. It's the second-best team on defense to this point in the country, GP, uh, in defensive efficiency. Are the Longhorns there, top 20 on offense? They've got a huge home game against Villanova on Sunday. Your impressions of what Texas has been able to do, and when I say, is this the year, I want to frame that to you as, is this truly the year? Like, Texas, even if it's not going to be as good as Baylor or Kansas, and maybe it will be, but if it's not that, like, is this the year where they they are a clear-cut, we are into the Sweet 16, we're not messing around, we're not having a close game, we're in that, we're flirting with Elite Eight status. Can't, will this be the year for the Longhorns? think this will be a good year for the Longhorns I'm not ready to just put them in magic marker sharpie them into the sweet 16 I mean that's a that's a difficult deal let me ask you this they're 4-0 with wins over North Carolina and Indiana where would you put them in the big 12 right now (laughs) can you give me one give me give me two more days I put them I still put them fourth but it is a really good like it's a big 10 situation like it's a really good top four there Baylor, then Kansas, then West Virginia, then Texas, but the margins are just 
They are really, really slim. They're very, they're very slim. Yeah. Right. I, let me be clear. I'm happy for Shaka and happy for that program. God, poor Texas. They, they've, they've got, it, it, you know, it, all of the resources in the world, an incredible natural recruiting base, and they, they stink at football, and they've, they've been uh, not what they wanted to be in basketball while watching their former basketball coach do, do well at Tennessee. And so it's, it's been a frustrating few years. Now, I, I've made this point before, and I don't know that anybody else ever makes it when they talk about the Shaka Smart era at Texas to date. Um, but it, it's true, and it's not an excuse as much as it's a possible explanation, but he's lost his – you know, people like to talk about what he hasn't done at Texas so far. And I'm sure even Chaka would tell you that it hasn't gone the way he wanted it to go or thought it would go. He's lost his leading score midseason twice, and that, that's hard to overcome. So I am happy that he is off to this type of start because I have never wavered from he can be the guy at UT. And – when you get off to this kind of start and you've got that nice blend of experience and talent, even NBA talent with Greg Brown, um, then, then it gives you a shot to break through and stop having to answer questions about why you haven't done this and why you haven't done that. It doesn't guarantee you a sweet 16 single elimination tournaments are tricky, but I, I, I'll put it this way. They have gotten off to an incredible start that underlines the preseason expectations that this is on paper supposed to be Shaka Smart's best team at Texas. So far, it looks like it's capable of being, in fact, likely of being uh, Shaka's best team at Texas. And you've got Matt Coleman, senior guard, 16 points, five assists, 1.5 steals. And then, you know, let's never just gloss over the Andrew Jones story. Diagnosed with leukemia in January 2018. Now a fifth-year junior Averaging ten points in twenty four point seven minutes per game, so there's an incredible story there as well. Yeah, without a doubt, worth mentioning every single time we talk about Texas on the podcast. Andrew Jones has uh, been able to uh, retain his playing career, and certainly is a big factor on this team. Uh, Kai Jones has been outstanding, by the way, uh, among the most efficient players through four games in the season. He's missed one two point shot zero three-point shots, and two foul shots to this point. Uh, the big man has been outstanding there. Greg Brown, he's he can be a highlight reel, uh, but he, he he's, a, he's a great case of a really super talented freshman who's got a good chance at being a lottery pick, um, but it's not all there yet. If you really if you really watch what he did and what he did not do down in Nashville, um, if anything, that's great reason to be optimistic if you're a Texas fan. And yeah, you're right about just the, the situation at that school, are they gonna are they gonna fire Tom Herman? Are they not? Um, and Shaka Smart, if he could really just keep this going, uh, give them some reason for some optimism because I know football means everything down there, and he has been underperforming. How about this, Parish? So on Sunday, Texas plays Villanova. They're gonna host Villanova, and I don't know if this was the case a season ago. In fact, I'm gonna check this in real time to see if it was the case. I don't think it was. It was not because uh yep, because Kansas was fifth. So this this weekend, we have Gonzaga versus Baylor. Did you see this? Gonzaga versus Baylor. That's one versus two in the polls and in Ken Palm. And then Villanova against Texas. Villanova's third in Ken Palm. Texas is four. Last season's Champions Classic did not feature all four top Ken Palm teams. Uh, even though they were top four in the polls, they weren't top four in Ken Palm. So this might be, I, I don't know how you could fact check this. You'd have to just spend hours and 
I'm not going to do that. But this might it. be the the first time ever, ever, that we have one versus two and then three versus four in Ken Palm playing essentially within a 24-hour period of each other. Again, this is great, great stuff for college hoops. Villanova's got... Uh, hell of a challenge here um <laughs> after it'll be a little bit of a jolt to the system too they get four games in a bubbleville go back to philly for a few days uh rest up be able to stretch their legs so to speak then hop on a plane i, I imagine they're they're flying just about now as we're recording the podcast to get down to austin uh or maybe they'll fly saturday and then and get this game in on uh, on sunday so that is that's a wonderful matchup and Villanova is the fourth best team on offense. As I said before, Texas is the second best team on defense. So um, I know it's still an NFL Sunday and it's a big time deal, but you're listening to this podcast because you love college hoops. And the great thing is there is a marquee matchup on each. I mean, there's interesting ones beyond that, but for Saturday, you've got Gonzaga Baylor. And then on Sunday, Nova Texas is a, uh, is a one o'clock tip out of Austin. So that's uh, that's wonderful news. And t- just a couple of huge matchups here in early December. The possibilities for what you're talking about, uh, top four teams playing in Ken Palm in a 24-hour period, um, any of the champions, some of the champions classics might might qualify. I, I'm not sure, but maybe um, 2008 Final Four. Yes. You might have. Yes, but yeah, it. within the, correct. That's probably, that, that's probably it, but otherwise, and in the regular season, I don't even think so, but you're right. Because those teams finished one, two, three, and four: Kansas, Memphis, Carolina, UCLA. So that would have been the only—that's the only other easily conceivable time where this has happened. But uh, it's just great that the schedule wound up bending this way, GP, to get uh, to get two high-profile games like that back-to-back days. Can we talk about Luca Garza for a minute? Yes, we we can we can. Uh, it was the last thing I, I caught SB a little bit of SVP's uh, Sports Center show before I hit the hay on Thursday. Lay out for the listeners what he's been doing, um, because it's it's bonkers. I know that the competition has been great, but he's still because the competition has been great. I don't think it's been like front and center. Like we haven't talked about him until now, but yeah, go ahead. Let the people know what he's been doing there. So on Thursday night, he got 35 points and 10 rebounds in 25 minutes, 99 58 victory over Western Illinois, 13 to 21 from the field, two of four from three at half. It was Luca 30 Western Illinois, 26 Rob Jeter, the leathernecks coach. I love the leathernecks. Imagine outscoring the, all of the Leathernecks in a 20-minute span. That's what Luca Garza did on Thursday night. Outscored an, an entire team of Leathernecks. Rob Jeter was like, listen, you can watch all the film you want on Garza. You don't know what's going on until you get out there. It's, it's, it's too easy for him, and it has been too easy for him. He's the first player this season to have multiple 30-point games. He scored 76 points in his past two games which is the most for a Big Ten player in a two-game stretch in the past 20 years. He's now averaging 34 points and 9.7 rebounds in just 26 minutes per game, shooting 76% from the field, 62.5% from three, and 80.8% from the free throw line. Yes, the competition is lackluster. The wins are over NC Central, Southern, and Western Illinois. Those schools are ranked 291st, 266, and 346 in the country at Ken Palm. Uh, but the wins have come by an average of 32.7 points. And a lot of people, high majors, in, you know, all Americans, are playing against low major bad competition right now. And nobody is doing to the competition what Luca Garza is doing to the competition right now. Do you want to take this opportunity mm. 
to apologize to him. It was just last week you're talking about right now. I think Jeremiah Robinson <laughs> Earl should be the leading candidate for national player of the year. And Luca Garza's like double bird. I'll go get 35 on the Leathernecks. First of all, love the Leathernecks because it means that their opponent perpetually feels like it's playing a game in 1917. Okay. Because there's still a team called the Leathernecks out there. <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, I did say that about Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Let's just, you know, Nova goes into Texas, wins by seven, and Robinson Earl drops, you know, 25, 12, and six. Let's just, you know, I'm not saying it's going to happen. But if it does, let's just circle back here. Garza's been great. He is now, we're not going to update this every podcast, but he is the front runner for National Player of the Year. But the, the competition has been just horrendous. But I still put stock in, and I've long done this, I think you've kind of joined me on this on this uh, on this train in recent seasons. Sometimes teams or players will be downplayed. In fact, Paris even goes. He's with this, but he goes against it too because he doesn't like voting for the guys in small leagues for a top one hundred and one. But you're with me. Well, well, here's let me be clear. Here's where I'm at on that. I don't care if you average 18 points per game for a bad team. It does not matter to me. Yeah, I, I get that. But if it's 30 points a game and you're balling out against bad teams and good teams, you know, it's just, just that's, you know, if you're 30, if you're doing 30, 30 points a game for a good team against bad competition, I'll recognize that. I, I had a coach one time tell me, and I've never forgotten it. He said, GP, every team in the country has got somebody that averages 15 points per game. And I said, not Florida state ever. That's right. That's cor- And you're <laughs> correct to say that. By the way. Yeah. And, well, how, and, and, and the weird thing said, is Leonard Hamilton was sitting on the other side of you at PGA when you said that yeah, ballsy I, I comment. Said, I said, Florida state has seven guys who average between nine and 12, but not 15. But in all seriousness, his point was every, somebody's every, even bad team score, even player player. Every bad team has a player who leads them in scoring. So, Oh, he led his team in scoring. Doesn't mean anything if it's for a bad team. So I am very dismissive of scorers for bad teams. I just don't care. All right. Here's the point I was making, though. Parrish is with me when it comes to uh, even if you are playing bad competition, but you're killing the competition. Like you're winning games by 19, 27, 22, 31, 15 points then there is something to be said for that if you were consistently doing that. And so although this is only a three-game sample size, given that Garza has come out of the gate with 26, 41, and 35 points, and he's yet to play a 30-minute basketball game, and his offensive rating has been 168 against North Carolina Central, 165. These are ridiculous. 165 against Southern. Drop down, pick it up, you slacker. 127 against the Leathernecks. It's been a wonderful start for Garza. The competition obviously hasn't been good. The highest rate of those teams is Southern, which currently clocks in at 266 in Ken Palm. But still, he's off to a wonderful start and uh, and certainly is 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 an early uh, leader for National Player of the Year. We'll see how it goes against Leaky Black and the Tar Heels. Iowa's next game is scheduled to be at home on Tuesday against the Tar Heels. We'll get more into that, obviously, on the Sunday night pod. And North Carolina does have, like, 50 talented front court players to throw at him. Yes, you're right. So it, it doesn't mean he won't go big again. In fact, I'll be shocked if he doesn't go big again. But obviously, next game, um, it's a major step up in competition. That is the ACC Big Ten Challenge game, Iowa against North Carolina. On Tuesday, we'll talk about it on Sunday night's podcast. Uh, you might know this because you might have just been looking at it. But I was somewhat surprised to click on the Ken Palm Player of the Year uh, race to the extent that it's a race. He's not. Luca Garza is not number one. Did you see this? 
I did not. Do you know who? Take a guess. Take five guesses. Take 5,000 guesses. Pour out your Legos. I'm, <laughs> pour out your Legos. Uh, so it's it's someone that's obviously not guessable, so I'm not going to waste the listener's time. Um, oh, we've been wasting listeners' time for years. I think they would I think they would disagree. The, I think the, the reviews say otherwise. Um, or, or we waste it in a beautiful way. Uh, but if that's not guessable, so, he, so what, Gar, you're saying Garza is two? Garza is number two. Um, it's not guessable. Right, then, then, who is, then who is it? And is it, is it justifiable? <laughs> well, I, 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 the, the guy, they played, I believe, one game, and the guy went for 31 maybe. Um, it is a Rutgers transfer playing at Oregon, Eugene Amarui. Oh, yeah, okay, of course. That was, that was just on the tip of my tongue there. Okay, yeah. So he's yeah. t- they played one game. All right, so fair enough. I, I think they played one game oh, yeah. and, and lost it. They to lost Missouri. to Missouri. They lost to Missouri. Indeed. Yes, they do. I, I, the the Pac-12 is off to like a not great start. Uh, you've got Oregon 0-1, Stanford 1-2, UCLA took that loss to San Diego State, USC just lost to Colorado, uh, UConn. So it's, it's I think, the sixth-rated conference right now. Mm. Um you know the the lowest of the power five, so not not the not a great start for the Pac twelve. But hey, it's still early, Norlander. Yeah, real quick on the just a quick note on the Pac twelve, um, and then I got a few games I want to throw at you for this weekend. Uh, Stanford is I don't think this has not been officially announced as we're doing this podcast, but um, Stanford's just not left North Carolina because it's based in Santa Clara County, and so like the San Francisco Forty ers can't play games in Santa Clara County. They have banned <laughs> contact sports. The fact that it went as far, the, the health officials there are not effing around. So uh, I mentioned this previously. Though. So Stanford, San Jose State, and Santa Clara uh, also can't play their games. Stanford is staying in North Carolina for at least two games. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the Pac-12 is not off to a good start. I'll, I'll be interested to see who Stanford schedules. I would figure they're going to get that done in the next 24 hours. And if they can play good teams, they... They looked good, but they didn't get the wins that they were hoping to get in Asheville. So just uh, keep an eye on that. Okay, maybe they make, maybe they could get a game with the Leathernecks. Well, that's Western Illinois, and they're in North Carolina, so I don't think that's uh, the, the, the Leathernecks will travel. I don't the, think the, Leathernecks the, travel. the Leathernecks will travel. You think the Leathernecks are scared to travel? They're not scared to travel. I saw somebody on Twitter when you mentioned this Santa Clara County thing. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I didn't listen. I was vamping on the podcast. I know they gave me crap. Go ahead. So, so you were like, you were apparently talking on the podcast. I don't know if I was listening. Yeah, yeah. This, like, they were referencing what I said on the damn podcast. Page. Yeah, and you said. Uh, you said, "Oh yeah, you know, Stanford is in Santa Clara County, and there's like there's another D1 team in Santa Clara County. <laughs> Not can't off the top of my head, can't think of it." And somebody was like, uh, "It's Santa Clara. <laughs> Santa Clara is is in Santa Clara County." Steve Nash is rolling over in his grave with with Elvis Presley. <laughs> okay, what R. if Steve, Steve Nash, Nash were in a grave with Elvis Presley? How wild would that be? Whoo! Yes, exactly. Um, that's why the pod's glorious. Okay. Uh, let's make some picks here. I'm going to throw a few games at you, okay? Sure. All right, this is a heads up for the listeners as well. Um, couple couple decent ones on Friday. Wisconsin at Marquette. Big one for both programs. Wisconsin rates as the better team. Marquette's been off to a solid start, although it could be better because they lost to Cade Cunningham and Oklahoma State earlier this week. But the, the Golden Eagles are 2-1 and one with wins over Eastern Illinois Western Illinois, the Leathernecks. Can you don't without looking? Can you? I I'm, I haven't checked yet. Eastern Illinois nickname. What do we think it is? Eastern Illinois. Yeah. 
the, the Eastern Illinois is the leather ears. Leather ears. Okay. Yeah, the Eastern Illinois le- leather ears. I, I think, I feel it's either, it's either a dog or a cat. I don't think it's the. I, I'm gonna say wildcats. I'm gonna find out right now. I know that's not right though. I feel like it might be the dog variety. What are they? Eastern Illinois. Panthers. It is a they're cat. The, Just the wrong cat. The, there we go. They're the Panthers. They're the Panthers. All right. So Mark has two and one. So that is uh that's a biggie. That's actually a pretty good local rivalry. Marquette uh Marquette gets the benefit of hosting. We we, we tend to call that an in state rivalry. That's right. A good in state rivalry. Interconference. Not intra. Inter. Not intra. Inter. Uh I am going to take GP, I'm gonna take Marquette to win this one. Wisconsin what? is a four and a half point. Favorite on the road, no fans. You want to just you want to just make a quick pick here. I just think that no fan thing like really matters. I mean, we just watched Michigan State go into Cameron Indoor and just handle Duke in a way that Duke doesn't get handled inside Cameron Indoor. And perhaps it's because Duke's not as good as Duke normally is. But it also could be because playing at Cameron Indoor with no fans isn't that big of a deal. And so, from my perspective here, I got a top ten team playing against a team that just lost to Oklahoma State in front of no fans or very few fans, I'll take the top 10 team. All right, fair enough. Uh, the only other game of interest on Friday is at 9 o'clock. This was... Hold up. Did you just make me pick a Friday game? I don't do that. Yeah, you did. Uh, hold, hold. I don't I don't pick Friday games. That's you been established. Picked it. This you don't podcast. even pick this next one, but I, I, go, I just I, I reeled you in. I reeled you. I reeled you. All right, how about this? Oregon plays against Seton Hall. <laughs> Oregon plays Seton Hall in Omaha. The only thing that would actually improve this whole situation for me is if they somehow managed to make this game happen at Pinnacle Bank. But it's not happening at Pinnacle Bank, which is is totally unfortunate. It's it's going down in Creighton's joint, but that's that's totally fine. How about this for Seton Hall, by the way? This is a, this is they're they're trying to defy all logic in the COVID era. So they open the season at Louisville. They come back. They wind up playing Iona after being scheduled to play in Bubbleville and bailing on that. So they home against Iona. They bust to Rhode Island. They play at Rhode Island. They fly to Oregon. Then they're going to fly and play Penn State on Sunday. Then come back home and play Wagner. Like, if you talk to coaches, they are trying to reduce travel as much as possible. Seton Hall is just like, we don't give an F. Like, what What pandemic? We're going we're gonna to fly and travel as much as we damn well please. They got Oregon on Friday. It is an interesting game. Oregon's got the best player in America, as Paris just previously told you. It's the 0-1 Ducks who have been just chilling in Omaha the past few days. GP doesn't pick Friday games, although he just did. Um, This is kind of intriguing because the news here connected to this is that Oregon got LJ Figueroa cleared in the past 24 hours, so he'll be on the floor for this game. And for me, that's definitely enough. Oregon rates is the better team. Figueroa in. I would take Oregon to win, and if they do that, they're going to drop Seton Hall to one and three. It's going to be a little bit of a different season without Miles Powell and Co. Uh, sticking around there. So that's the other big game on Friday. You don't pick games on Friday, so I don't do pick mean? games on Friday. But I will point out that Oregon is zero and one with that loss to Missouri, and they are without Will Richardson. It was announced like two hours before the game right. that Will Richardson had surgery and is going to be out several weeks. So. Um, this Oregon team that you saw some pick to win the Pac-12, you know, I had ranked in the preseason top 25 and one. It is not at full strength. It, getting LJ uh, eligible is obviously a plus, but having to play without Will, Will Richardson is not not ideal. 
All right, a couple more. Not, not it, Without a doubt, Gonzaga-Baylor-Texas Nova overshadows kind of everything else this weekend. Um, I'll just mention NC State plays at UConn. I think that might be the last game in Bubbleville. Maybe they've got one more after that, um, but th- that's uh, Bubbleville wraps on uh, on Saturday there. UConn got a good win over USC. It was ugly, but they got it on Thursday, and so a good opportunity. Like James Booknight showed some real flashes there. Um, it, you know, a good opportunity for the Huskies to really make a an early statement there and get a win. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that. The line isn't out for it yet. And then the only two other ones that I think are notable, uh, particularly, is another in-state rivalry, interconference rivalry, Cincinnati versus Xavier. This is a game that took a while to even get agreed upon because of the whole this is the zip them up, zip them up classic. Okay, zip them up classic. One of the best post-game quotes in the history of any college basketball rivalry. That's three o'clock Eastern on Sunday. Let's pick this one. Um, Xavier at Cincinnati. Xavier's been weird, by the way. Have you seen what this team's been doing? Well, they're five and zero. Oh. They're five and zero, oh, but they like they kill they uh, they kill Oak, Oakland to start the season, and then they've they've kind of been like getting by by the by the skin of their teeth. Otherwise, I mean, they're five and zero, oh, and they're 63rd in Ken Palm because they beat Bradley by one point, Toledo by three, need overtime to get past Eastern Kentucky. These are teams that are outside the top 100. They're just who even knows? They play Cincinnati. Cincinnati, you know, it's a projected three-point Bearcats win at Ken Palm there. Since Cincinnati's at home, I'll take the Bearcats there, but this does feel like a toss-up. Yeah, I'll take Cincinnati at home, I guess, but whatever. Okay, I love it. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is what the listeners demand. <laughs> Last one, let's just mention Kentucky at Georgia Tech. How about this? So, like, six weeks ago, Josh Pastner starts talking about how he's... <laughs> He starts talking about how he's just not going to have contact practice. He's like, I'm not going to put my team in a position where we could have contact tracing knock us out. So we're just going to like not practice this season. Let's let's check in on Georgia Tech at the moment here. Josh Passner and the Yellow Jackets are 0 and 2 with losses to Georgia State and Mercer, both in-state teams, and now they got to play Kentucky. I I don't have a recent correspondence with Josh. I'm curious to see if his philosophy on practicing. Has changed. Might be, might be time to, when you give up 123 to Georgia State, might be time to start practicing again. <laughs> might be time to more than just roll the balls out there. Um, this is a projected six-point win for Kentucky, obviously coming off back-to-back losses. Richmond versus Kansas. If you're a UK fan and you're gripping just a little bit, considering you know this is uh, something of a road game, I think it's in the Atlanta Hawks' building. I don't think it's... Correct. Been, yeah, so it's not like a true road game. Um I understand that, but I'm going to take Kentucky to win. If they can hit two three-pointers in this game, maybe. But I will take UK to win this one. I will, too, because UK didn't look good against Kansas, but they competed with Kansas. I mean, they had a shot in the final 10 seconds to tie the game, but because it was a three-pointer, they had no shot at making it, so they lose by three. But they still competed with Kansas, and Kansas, I think, is a legitimate top 10 team in the country. So if you can compete with Kansas on a neutral, you should be able to compete with Georgia Tech on a what amounts to a neutral um, and, and, and probably win the game. But I will say, you know, Georgia Tech, at least in the preseason, was projected by some to be an NCAA tournament team. And so you still got this extremely inexperienced Kentucky team playing against a more experienced, not nearly as bad, if we're being honest, as their record 
and recent losses to Georgia State and Mercer might suggest. So this one could get tricky. And um, I, I think Kentucky fans handled the Richmond loss okay, handled the Kansas loss fine. You start one and three with a loss to Georgia Tech, which had lost to Mercer, Georgia State. That's when the message boards get, <laughs> that's when they light up. <laughs> You're right. This is completely unrelated, but I want to fact check myself here. Because I had the tweet up as we started the podcast. So at Bleed KY Blue, I quoted him as saying, A UMass Lowell player threw up on an NC State player tonight. All kinds of disgusting, which is. But then, then, because Mark Ennis, who does a great job uh, locally covering Louisville, he's the one who kind of quote tweeted it onto my timeline. But then all the responses first, he goes, I mentioned the wrong team. Sorry. I also don't have a. So someone else goes. <laughs> someone goes this happened in state second game too what wtf is happening right this is the second nc state player to be puked on (laughs) i i i was gonna say very early in the season like opening day or the second day of the season somebody there are you saying that this latest vomit happened thursday because there is a pre there is a first there's a first week vomit that happened as well no so I don't understand how the mix-up happened, but someone asked, are you serious? He said, it was a mix-up. This actually happened last week. I don't know how you get to a point where you think UMass Lowell was the vomiter, but that was not the case. So it was either Charleston Southern or North Florida. I want to apologize, and I will not go back and change the podcast. We will keep this organic. But UMass Lowell, Elvis Presley's alma mater, which is getting more run in the first two damn weeks of the season, more PR than it could ever hope for, there was no vomiting situation there, which is which is good to know. Bubbleville did not uh, witness any sort of uh, upchuck, vomit, you know, any kind of that situation. I missed the first time this happened, and the only time, to be to be clear here, but I wanted to, just to correct the record before we wrap. I remember seeing the first throw up, which oh, is now, which, which also doubles now as the only throw up. That's where we're at on this. That's uh, that's 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 correct. What's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite term for throwing up? By the way, uh, puking. I guess. Puke. I th- yeah, puke. That's a funny word. Puke. Yeah. Puke. I like yeah, I puke. Like if I were trying to describe what happened to me in that night, I would say, yeah, I was, I was puking. Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm good. You know, hurl, barf, Ralph, upchuck. I don't. Throw I don't up. do any of that. I'm, I'm I don't. Puked. I don't do any of that. I puked. Kids are uh, screaming right now, by the way. There's a toy situation going on. No doubt about it. I hear them. I have no kids in my house. I have nobody in my house right now. I'm so happy. You're living the life right now. This is perfect. You are absolutely living it. I am in the exact opposite situation. Wife is loaded with meetings today. Going to upload this podcast, and then I'm done. Then my Friday's out the window. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you guys for listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast once again in the middle of the most idiotic pandemic of my entire lifetime. I've been on this planet now 43 years, and I have never dealt with a pandemic quite like this pandemic. So I appreciate you guys listening in the middle of a stupid pandemic. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it. And either way, we will talk to you again on Sunday. Till then, take care.